0: And this is Mike Fader. Um, this week is the 72nd anniversary of the United States dropping atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And uh, we're going to talk about um, this today and try to connect it up to things that are going on at the present time. We have a guest with us, uh, J. Samuel Walker. Hello. Hello. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Let me introduce you a little bit to the listeners, and then we can go on to the next little bit here. Um, J. Samuel Walker is a professional historian. He was the associate historian and then the, the actual historian. Is that the sort of like the, the head of the department there, historian?
1: Well, the department was, was one person. That was me.
0: <laughs> okay. He was the associate <laughs> historian and then the historian of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission from 1979 to 2010, and among his many publications are Three Mile Island, A Nuclear Crisis in Historical Perspective, Prompt and Utter Destruction, Truman and the Use of Atomic Bombs Against Japan. And uh, that was published originally in 1997, recently issued in a third edition. And a forthcoming book in 2018, is coming up from Oxford University Press, called Most of 14th Street is Gone. The Washington, D.C. riots of 1968. Also, you uh, wrote about basketball, The the Road to Madness, how the 1973-74 season transformed college basketball, co-author with Randy Roberts. So you're a basketball fan, big fan?
1: I am a big fan,
0: yes. Um, College or professional or both?
1: Well, both more college uh, mm-hmm. now, uh, but I follow both, and it's uh, and it's a source of great uh, interest to me. And after I retired from my job at the NRC, I thought I'd like to do do something different than what I'd done uh, in my professional career. So I wrote a couple books on college basketball, and that was that was great fun.
0: Well, living in New York City as I do, we have the Knicks here, um, so no more to say about that. Let's move on to a be a
1: book there, but. Uh, <laughs> somebody
0: else. There was an, actually, there was an article, a cartoon in the New Yorker a couple of years ago, where there's this family at dinner, and uh, the, there was this sullen-looking little boy there at the dinner table. And uh, the caption underneath, it was the father speaking. He says, you better eat your dinner or Daddy will take you to a Knicks game. Just, this is how bad it was for us for a long time. So. Yeah, and
1: the Knicks of the early 70s were just, just classic teams, and, and classic in, in the sense of being good, but also classic in, in the sense of being great teams with with great players who all played together.
0: And I, re- I remember that very well. It was when I was watching them all the time want to go into the games. Meanwhile, I think we met our—since the world looks like it's about to— uh, it's like it's on the brink, perhaps, of another nuclear— um, uh, incident or attack almost. Uh, let's shift over to that. I think the first thing w- uh, we could start out doing is listening to the announcement that President Truman made to the country and to the world right after the, um, the bomb was dropped on uh, Hiroshima and before it was dropped, on, another one was dropped on Nagasaki
1: um yeah what truman did was to give a long speech a radio address to the nation uh, about what he hoped would be the the end of the war he used the term reign of ruin which we've we've heard again quite a bit in the last few days um but truman was hoping to use that address to encourage the japanese to surrender which they had not done uh after hiroshima uh, uh, and Had not done before Nagasaki, so uh, it still took a few days for the Japanese to decide to uh, surrender. Well, there's a lot that that was the purpose of Truman's.
0: uh, There was a a lot that was going on there. I think we have an old recording of it that we can play. Hold on.
2: A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima and destroyed its usefulness to the enemy. That bomb has more power than 20,000 tons of TNT. The Japanese began the war from the air at Pearl Harbor. They have been repaid many fold, and the end is not yet. With this bomb, we have now added a new and revolutionary increase in destruction to supplement the growing power of our armed forces. In their present form, These bombs are now in production, and even more powerful forms are in development. It is an atomic bomb. It is a harnessing of the basic power of the universe. The force from which the sun draws its power has been loosed against those who brought war to the Far East. We have spent more than $2 billion on the greatest scientific gamble in history, and we have won. But the greatest marvel is not the size of the enterprise, its secrecy, or its cost, but the achievement of scientific brains in making it work. Uh,
0: before, before we start talking about um, all of this uh, and um, well, everything that surrounded the dropping of the bomb, let me ask you a, a sort of a general question, which is probably an absurd question to ask a historian, but what is the point, what is to be gained by us discussing this seventy two years after the events
1: uh... well it is a good question It's not a, a absurd and it's uh... and it's uh, an important question the, the the short answer is is that we need to understand uh... important events and we need to to understand a lot of not so important events to kind of understand how we got to where we are today on any topic and certainly on atomic weapons so uh, so we study history, and history, uh, at least how we view history or what we know about history, changes over the years, and oftentimes this leads to, uh, to major debates among historians, and, and the atomic bomb is certainly uh, a, a prime case of that. Um, so in order to understand not only why things were done but how things were done, uh, the best guide we have is history, and uh, that's what historians try to do.
0: Sarah Vowell uh, uh, wrote a a piece in the op-ed piece in the the New York Times the other day about uh, Donald Trump's particular deep and um, uh, frightening ignorance about history. You know, um, she was talking about the different nuclear crises. And, uh, you know, when Truman uh, uh, gave them the go-ahead, to, uh, to drop the bomb he had uh, previously before he actually said to go and do it, he had delegated a tremendous amount of um, policy making decision and power and knowledge uh, to his Secretary of War Stimson, who he actually was the one who told him to go ahead and you know use it, and uh, the science that was going on and, and all the other things i mean he wasn 't as familiar as he might have been, and then there was um, uh, talk about that after the first bomb was dropped in Hiroshima. That And he found out, you know, what, uh, what the power and what the effect was that he, uh, you know, said from now on, I'm the one <laughs> who makes the decision. Bring everything to me first as if he hadn't, you know, really gone over all this before. And then she was saying that when Kennedy uh, was entering a nuclear crisis uh, with Russia, you know, uh, around Cuba and the Cuban Missile Crisis, he had read about it. He knew about it. He knew about the history of the uh, original uh, debate and everything. But here we have a man, uh, this is just following up what you just said. Here we have a man who, has no, who doesn't read books, uh, has, seems to have no interest in history whatsoever, and just reacts impulsively. So I guess I'm just backing up what you said. A knowledge of history would go a long way to helping, right?
1: Yeah, and it's true that that Truman did not know a lot about the bomb before he authorized its use. There was never an order to give the bomb. It's not as though Truman said, "Okay, use the bomb," or or he didn't send out a presidential directive saying to use the bomb, and and he didn't have to. Uh, and Truman was told in the first meeting that he had with Secretary Stimson and with General Leslie Groves, who was head of the Manhattan Project, uh, which was in April, three weeks after he took office. He he knew at that point. Uh, Stimson told him that this bomb would be large enough to, uh, in itself, a single bomb would be large enough to wipe out an entire city. And, and, and Truman wrote in his diary at Potsdam, you know, this is the most terrible weapon ever developed. So, so he had a keen sense of, of what the effects of the bomb would be, but he didn't really focus on it uh, until, as you said, after Hiroshima, uh, and after that, he did pay a lot of attention to, uh, to the destructive power of atomic weapons. Uh, and he said throughout the rest of his presidency, you know, these bombs are militarily uh, useless because you can't use them. What you can use them for is to deter others from, uh, from using the bombs. So um, very early after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, uh, the primary purpose of nuclear weapons became as a deterrent, not as an offensive weapon.
0: Well, he certainly uh, felt that way, and you can tell from his diary entries. So one one question real quick is when, when he made the announcement about uh, the, the bomb being dropped on Hiroshima, um, how did he know? How was he informed? What, what information did he have? I mean, the rest of the world really didn't know what happened, including in Japan and this country.
1: Well, it was clear from, from the headlines in, in the newspapers a day after Hiroshima that, that one bomb had... Destroyed the city or most of the city. Uh, no one knew exactly what the effects were. Uh, and Truman found out from Stimson. Stimson had a meeting with uh, Truman right after he got back from Potsdam, which would have been two or three days after, two days after uh, Hiroshima, and, sh- and showed him the first photographs that uh, were available and, and, and uh, explained to him what the effects of the uh-huh. bomb on Hiroshima. And it was right after that that Truman made his uh, his statement at the uh, staff meeting, at the uh, excuse me, at the cabinet meeting, that he said we aren't going to use any more of these bombs without my express authorization, uh, which was which was actually on August 10th, the day after Nagasaki. So um, so there's a lot of evidence that the first real understanding that Truman had of the effects of the bomb were the were the photographs and the descriptions that he received. After Hiroshima, then it came; it, it became very real to him, which which it had been kind of abstract before that.
0: So uh, he he deter. There's a couple of things here. So he determined that uh, it would be used uh, as a deterrent after that; that it was useless, quote unquote, to use it in a war. Um, two things about that. One is that uh, that's sort of the origin. People are wondering these days why is it that the. Um, Although he is the commander in chief. Why is it that the president, and in this case, the current moment, President Trump, uh, has sole command over the use of this? And if he wanted to pick up the phone right now, I guess, and call the Pentagon uh, war room or ready room or whatever, um, he can just do it. And that's that. There's nothing standing in his way at the moment. Right. And this is this begins with Truman uh, drawing this power unto himself although i guess constitutionally he had it the second part of this is um, well let's address that one first
1: well yeah and there's and there's a rich history there about which i don't know a whole lot except the whole the whole purpose of, of the president having the sole authority as i understand it uh, was to make certain that it was a civilian who had control final control over the use of atomic weapons and that you didn't have some uh, high-level officer or even a low-level officer in the Air Force or Army or, or the Navy uh, making those decisions. So, so it was very closely tied into the whole question of the civilian control of atomic weapons, which was a, a very big issue, a very important issue uh, after World War II ended.
0: I guess when you say Truman decided that uh, it would be useless to use these in warfare, and they should be used as a deterrent that 's not exactly how uh, one or more of his generals felt over uh, felt over in, uh, in during in Japan and then maybe even during the Korean War, I mean, specifically somebody like Curtis LeMay right yeah,
1: and MacArthur was talking about using atomic weapons right. during the war. Um, um, yeah, and it's important to separate the rhetoric from uh, from actual preparations. We didn't come close to using atomic weapons. There was certainly discussion of it. There, there was certainly a lot of deliberation over what the impact or the, or the utility of using atomic weapons might be. Um, and, and we sent, during the Korean War, we sent uh, uh, airplanes to the Pacific that were capable of carrying atomic weapons but didn't send the weapons themselves. So... Um, so, yeah, there there always is and there always should be a lot of discussion about using atomic weapons. Um, but hopefully it's informed discussion and discussion that includes people who know something about fighting wars.
0: Um, we can only hope that there is uh, <clears throat> some reasonable discussion going on in our capital right now. Um, so let me ask you these. quick. There are questions of the, the debate over the use of this bomb, I mean, you know, moral, political, uh, military. Uh, a lot of people right off want to know, why is it that the bomb was not demonstrated to the, uh, to the Japanese, uh, you know, to the rulers of Japan, the military dictators and to the emperor? I mean, why was the bomb not shown in a, like a neutral place someplace? And um, if it could, you know, if in fact it could have been, I don't know how that would have been achieved. But people do wonder, why, why not a demonstration of the bomb to get them to understand what was going to happen to them?
1: Yes, that, that was an issue that was briefly discussed by Truman's. It was called the Interim Committee, which was uh, a group of high-level advisors who, who mostly talked about the uh, possible impact of the bomb after the war, but also talked, at least in passing, about the use of the bomb. And, and one uh, question that was briefly discussed was uh, a demonstration bomb. And it was pretty quickly dismissed for a couple reasons. One was that the fear was that it wouldn't work, and so that would make the Japanese even more uh, uh, inclined to, to resist and, and, and to continue the war. Another fear was that the Japanese would move American prisoners of war to whatever site was designated. Mm-hmm. Um, and three, the most important reason was that uh, there was a fear that even if the bomb worked, uh... that it wouldn't impress the leadership of of the japanese government uh... japan had been bombed to smithereens practically uh... since early nineteen forty five there were just uh, waves of attacks of b-29s that hit all of japan's major cities and that hadn't been enough to uh... convince the japanese leadership leadership to uh... surrender Um and so the authorities who were talking about this issue and again very briefly uh, concluded that uh, even a demonstration of the bomb wouldn 't be enough to convince the Japanese that this was something that uh, should should uh, be enough to make them surrender
0: I suppose uh, if the bomb had been dropped successful i mean if it was successful wasn 't a dud, um, and also I think the expense was mention, mentioned someplace I mean these things were very expensive to build right
1: yeah and and we only had a couple. Mm-hmm. And, and and there was concern. Well, well, we don't have a lot of, of fissile material that you use to build bombs, either uranium 235 or plutonium. There was enough for two bombs: one U-2, U-235 bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima, plutonium bomb that was dropped on, on, on Nagasaki. Uh, so there was that concern. Um, General Groves and, and a few others might have been anxious to use the bomb to, to show that it worked and that all the money, all those $2 billion, mm-hmm. hadn't been wasted. But, but that was not a major concern for, uh, for Truman.
0: The, uh, on the dropping of the bomb, uh, they also, I think, uh, calculated that uh, there would be nothing like, uh, a demonstration would be nothing like the actual shock value, quote-unquote, of dropping the bomb on an actual city. Uh, you know, and then giving people to understand, um, and they wouldn't leave anything to their imaginations. Uh, And uh, what were the alternatives to dropping this bomb? I mean, uh, why not, uh, why not continue an invasion of uh, the, uh, there was a planned invasion of the Japanese home islands. Um, Why not continue the conventional bombing, which it, actually destroyed or killed hundreds of thousands of, um, of Japanese in Tokyo and other places. Uh, why not continue that and then prepare for an invasion? Why use this bomb?
1: Well, the, the main value of the bomb, of, as you indicated, was your shock value. Uh, we, we, we had been, been bombing Japanese cities for months that hadn't forced a surrender, and, and there was no evidence that the Japanese were close to surrender. Um, either then, or, or in, in more recent times, uh, once documentation was open, uh, and, and there were some, some high-level military authorities who said, "Yeah, if we keep bombing, uh, and there was also a, a tightening blockade around Japan, right? The blockade uh, too. Uh, we, yeah. can, we can win the war that way, and, and that way we won't have to have an, an invasion. Uh, we planned for the invasion. U.S. planned for the invasion." Uh, but it is a worst-case contingency, hoping that it would never be necessary. Uh, but but the, blockade, the 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 conventional bombing and the blockade, the fear was that if if we tried to end the war that way or win the war that way, that it was, it was going to take uh, months, uh, perhaps up to a year. Whereas the atomic bomb, if you dropped the bomb, the hope was that uh, that would shock the Japanese, that we could wipe out an entire city uh, with one bomb, and the shock value of that would be enough to force the Japanese to surrender.
0: So uh, the, the, the the planned invasion, I think Marshall was in favor of an invasion, right? General Marshall, rather than, uh, you know, using... Marshall
1: thought that an invasion was the quickest way to end the war. There was a cabinet meeting held on June 18, 1945, uh, in which uh, the highest authorities in the government and President Truman talked about ways to end the war, the quickest way to end the war. Um, And um, there were those in the Army Air Forces, there was no separate Air Force at that time, but the Army Air Forces... who. Uh, who, who were arguing, if we keep doing what we're doing, we can win a war, we won't have to have an invasion. And Marshall said, no, no, it's going to take too long, and eventually we're going to have to invade anyway, uh, so we have to go ahead and plan for an invasion. No one thought that an invasion was inevitable, but everyone thought that it had to be planned for in case it was necessary. It was it was a worst-case uh, scenario. Um, and what was not a part of that discussion on June 18 was the atomic bomb, which was still... Not known to a lot of people, so it was not discussed in an open meeting. Uh,
0: had the bomb been tested by then, or was it after the that? Bomb, uh, the, the bomb,
1: uh, the, the plutonium bomb was first tested about a month later uh, in uh, New Mexico on July 16th, so it had not been tested.
2: Oh. The
1: uh, uranium bomb, um, the, the, the scientists were so confident that it would work that it didn't have to be tested. Uh, So there was no question. The question was, uh, how could you produce enough uranium-235 to make that bomb work? So in terms of the U-235 bomb, it it was always a question of how soon could we produce enough of this material, Uh, and that was an enormous uh, undertaking Mm -hmm. and enormously difficult job. So the question was, how soon can we have enough of that for a bomb? Uh, so uh, so no bomb had been tested by the time of that cabinet meeting on June 18.
0: Now, the, the predictions for the invasion, uh, based on various factors, one of which being that the Japanese were notorious in not surrendering wherever they were fighting in the Pacific, um, the, the predictions were anywhere from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands, perhaps even millions of deaths and casualties if the United St- uh, for the United States and for the Japanese, if we invaded, right? I mean, that certainly had to be uh, one thing in favor of using the atomic bomb.
1: Well, uh, yes and no. <laughs> tell, yeah, tell me. The, yeah. Um, excuse me, I get choked up when I I, I uh, talk about Hiroshima. <laughs> The um, no, One of the great myths about the bomb is that Truman faced a stark choice between, on the one hand, using a bomb, and on, on the other hand, authorizing an invasion that, if it was necessary, would have cost hundreds of thousands of American lives. Uh, and we know now, for, at, at least from all the, the evidence that's available, and it's a lot of evidence, that no one told Truman in the uh, summer of 1945 that if an invasion was necessary, it was going to cost that many lives. Uh, he was told that it, it could cost tens of thousands of lives uh, if an invasion of Kyushu, which is the southernmost island in Japan and, and the first target of the invasion, and Honshu, which is uh, where Tokyo is located, uh, if invasions, land invasions of both of those uh, islands was necessary, that it could cost tens of thousands of lives and 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 I think what you need to understand about this is that Truman did not need to be told in the summer of nineteen forty five that the use of the bomb would save hundreds of thousands of lives this This was a post war myth that uh, that that has arisen. If somebody had told Truman um, as they did um, in, 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 in so many words, mr. president, uh, if you don't use a bomb, it's going to cost tens of thousands of lives. he, he wouldn't have hesitated for a second. If, uh, if somebody had told him that a much smaller number of American lives would have been lost, save, say, I don't know, 10,000, 5,000, 100, he still would not have, have hesitated to use it because his primary motive and uh, the primary reason behind the use of the bomb was to shorten the war, end the war as quickly as possible, uh, and save American lives. And, and and the number of lives was not an important issue.
0: Hmm. Have, have you been to Hiroshima?
1: I have not. I keep um, waiting for an invitation. <laughs> but no, I, I have not been there.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I uh, see this is part of the original consideration when I was talking to you earlier in the show when we first started. is um, Obviously, in Japan, it's memorialized and means a lot more to them since the bombs were dropped on them um then it does to the american public uh here in uh, like at the time it was dropped and then uh there was uh you know the american public at the time uh greatly uh you know uh approved you know polls taken greatly approved to drop obviously they didn't they didn't want any more of the the japs they had enough they had enough of this war enough people being shipped out right. in boxes and everything else um but um even now in this country, 70, 72 years later, I mean, or it, so there's articles in the in the paper, or maybe something on TV about the uh, the celebrations, or rather the memorial, um, uh, you know, you know, memorials at the uh, Japanese uh, Peace Memorial and everything. But uh, I guess um, I was talking to one person who uh, who is considering coming on as a guest, who actually takes students over there sometimes, a historian. Um, yeah, takes his history students over to Hiroshima and to Nagasaki to show them what's going on. I mean, people tend, people tend to forget. There's collective memory fades, right, you know, about the, uh, the tremendous... Yeah, I think
1: so, and that's, uh, I mean, yes, absolutely, and, and that's another reason that we have to remember and that we have to study history. Um, and, and, and certainly uh, in, in, in Japan they have... have vivid memories, and they uh, have every reason to memorialize the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, the Japanese have their own um, myths about the bomb, however, and uh, it's basically that the use of the bomb was unnecessary. The Japanese government had had decided to surrender, was trying to signal that to, to the American government, uh, that there was no military reason to end the war, and the Japanese tend to downplay uh, all the atrocities that the Japanese committed. So So my point is that uh, that's a myth, too. Uh, The Japanese government had not decided to surrender. Uh, There's no evidence of that, and a lot of evidence that shows just the opposite. Um, Well, they
0: didn't even decide to surrender after the first bomb.
1: Correct. Correct. It took the... It, it it took the bomb at hiroshima it took the soviet invasion of manchuria which was a huge shock to the japanese government hmm. especially the uh, militants who had been holding out against surrender uh... and perhaps the bombing of, of, of nagasaki the 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 effect of the nagasaki bomb is very ambiguous uh... but but it, it required the combination of the atomic bomb on hiroshima and the Soviet invasion of Manchuria to finally convince the Japanese government to surrender. To surrender, and it was a very close call. Uh, there were, uh, there, or there, there was a very influential group who were still holding out, saying, "No, no, it's not time to surrender."
0: Just like as a mirror, there's an influential group, uh, usually in the military or the right wing politically in a lot of uh, whatever country it is, uh, to uh, either invade or to resist way past the point when there's any. Uh, humane sense to it. I I was reading something about uh, what what happened right before or during the time that uh, that they intended to do this, and then after they uh, dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, leaflets were dropped that the American government dropped hundreds of thousands of leaflets directed to the citizens of Japan, and presumably some of them fell into Hiroshima and other cities, but certainly in different cities in Japan and places in Japan. Um, and uh, one thing I read, which seems like kind of a, a bad joke, is it said, uh, petition the emperor, petition the emperor to surrender. I mean, as if anybody in a, what essentially was a dictatorship um, could petition the uh, the emperor to surrender. I mean, but right. I guess yeah. we did that to look humane. Is that right?
1: Well, we had been dropping leaflets on Japanese cities throughout the spring and summer of 1945 to warn them that they were... Uh, targets of, of, of bombing runs, and I don't know if the wording of, of those that were dropped after Hiroshima was was any different than those that had been dropped before or not. Uh, but yeah, the whole idea that, 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 that leaflets could inspire a popular uh, groundswell against a war uh, was, was not very... Um,
0: Effective. Well, the 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 Americans, uh, the American government at the time dropped uh, the air forces, uh, the Army air forces dropped leaflets uh, in Germany too, right? Uh, Advising the German citizens to uh, to urge their leaders, quote unquote, you know, to uh, to surrender. I mean, leaflets. This is part of what goes on with democracy. I wonder if the Germans drop leaflets before they bomb places.
1: I don't know. That's a good question. The the leaflet war. I don't know much about, but it's uh, it's a very interesting question. I I don't think so, and and of course the point of of the leaflets was was partly to warn people. I mean, there was some some concern. Bombing by the time of Hiroshima, bombing of uh, civilians was was just just what was done. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and, and there was uh, concern about that, but there was no stopping of it, uh, obviously. Um, but one point of the leaflets was to uh, depopulate cities to uh to to convince people to flee cities and and therefore deprive industries of workers and and, and that type of thing um, but in terms of an appeal to overthrow the leadership uh, that just wasn't uh, uh, workable
0: so after all this time, uh, there, there's actually I noticed something when I was reading uh, reading about this. Uh, Truman uh, made a note in his diary before the first bomb was ever used. Not too, it was not too. Uh, it was in end of July, 1945. There's a note in his diary that he ordered. Uh, he said he ordered Mr. Stimson to use it so that military objectives and soldiers and sailors are the large, are the target rather, and not women and children. And then he writes even if the Japs are savages, ruthless, merciless, and fanatic, we, as the leader of the world for the common welfare, cannot drop that terrible bomb on, and then he mentions the old capital, Kyoto, or the new one, Tokyo. He said the target will be a purely military one. Well, I'm sure they spent a lot of time picking out the targets. I, mean, I understand that Hiroshima did have, a, um, and Nagasaki were very important military targets, but in the end, there's a couple of questions remaining, and you've been listening uh, to my guest, uh, J. Samuel Walker, who's a professional historian, and he uh, has written many books. Um, one of them is Prompt and Utter Destruction, Truman and the Use of Atomic Bombs Against Japan. And recently that was issued in a third edition, and he has a forthcoming book um, coming out next year from Oxford University Press. Most of 14th Street is gone um, the uh, Washington, D.C. riots of 1968. So in the end, the argue, there are many arguments against us having used the bomb. Um, and how can you judge? Here's a question. It's sort of a rhetorical question, but I'm hoping you can give me your opinion about this anyhow. How can you judge? What's worse? Uh, people said it was uh, inhumane to drop atomic bombs, and we're the only people that ever have ever done it up until this point. And, uh, I mean, was that worse than firebombing of Tokyo? Uh, um, what about the killing of hundreds of thousands of Chinese civilians by the Japanese during the war? You know, uh, did we do the right thing? I mean, what, and, and the second part of his question is, you, you, you know, what, but the Americans felt about the Japanese. although the Japanese had a pretty bad attitude about everybody else. considered them barbarians. Was it racism to drop it on the Japanese? A two, two-part question there.
1: Yeah, those are two, uh, two tough questions. The the uh, the second part, and and we don't know, but I'm convinced, and, and I think most scholars are convinced that if we had had the bomb available in 1944, that we would have used it against the Germans. Uh, there's 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 no question that we hated the Japanese. We especially hated the Japanese because of the atrocities they had committed because of Pearl Harbor. Uh, and for racial reasons, uh, so that might have made it easier to use the bomb against Japan. Uh, against Japan. But, but I don't think so. I, I, I think if, if Roosevelt had had the bomb in, in 1944 facing the, 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 the D-Day invasion or, or, or the very difficult battles that came after D-Day, uh, he would have said, yeah, use it. So I, I don't think uh, racism was a primary reason, maybe not even a secondary reason for the use of the bomb. Uh, the other question, um, and, and that's a very difficult question, and, and of there
0: are yeah.
1: no definitive answers, but, uh, but I, I think what often gets lost in the discussion of, of use of atomic bomb uh, is what a horrible, horrible war uh, World War II was for everybody, and especially for civilians who were slaughtered, as you mentioned, in the hundreds of thousands. Um, both in bombing and in and uh, concentration camps, and 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 by the Japanese uh, in China, and and just an awful, awful, awful war. Uh, and the primary uh, consideration, the primary uh, motive for Truman and his advisors was to end the war as quickly as possible. We we have to get this war over as quickly as possible, and the atomic bomb seemed like the most promising, not the most certain, because there was that there was no certainty that the bomb would end the war quickly. But the mm-hmm. hope was. Uh, that it would end the war quickly, and that in itself, at least for Truman and his advisors, uh, was ample reason to use it uh, without a great deal of consideration. It looked like uh, it might end the war uh, quickly, uh, it might avoid the need for an invasion, and therefore uh, it should be used
0: i guess uh, I guess the word humane' doesn't really figure into something like this this is these are just calculation cold blooded calculations based on numbers in the end and what will end end every i mean, but people do say that if you look back on it, I think when you wrote the article last year for u s News and World Report, you look back on it, and when people do look back on what happened um in fact, uh, probably uh, several hundred thousand lives, or maybe a couple of million lives, were saved by using it. But these are the kinds of strange calculations of history. Uh, anyhow, um, I appreciate you yeah. coming on. appreciate you coming okay. on. Yeah. Uh, Jay Samuel all Walker.
1: Your great questions, and it's always interesting and always um, uh, imprecise, and, and we can't draw any final conclusions, but... But we yeah. need
0: to keep looking at this topic, especially since uh, we're facing these kinds of things right now. The other, the other value of history, right? I mean, to to, to know what happened before, so we don't repeat ourselves.
3: Right.
0: Exactly. Okay. Thank you very much, Jay Samuel okay. Walker. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we are going to have another guest coming up in just a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk about what's going on with Trump and North Korea right now.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Listening to the turning point uh, with Mike Fader, we've been recently discussing with our previous guest uh, the uh, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. As this is the 72nd this week, the 72nd anniversary of those horrible events, and now we are faced with uh, the possibility of uh, another nuclear confrontation uh, between Trump and Kim Jong Un. But uh, between all of us, if the bombs start, to, if the missiles start flying, and uh, recently there was an article in the Nation by my next guest, Mark Hertzgard, uh, about uh, what we, can, what can we possibly do about Donald Trump and his supreme command of the use of these bombs? Um, thanks for coming on.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Let me uh, introduce you a little bit to the um, to the listenership here. Um, Mark Hertzgard is the Nation's investigative editor at large. And he's the author of seven books that have been translated into 16 languages, including On Bended Knee, the Press and the Reagan Presidency. And his most recent books are Brave Hearts, Whistleblowing in the Age of Snowden, and Hot, Living Through the Next 50 Years on Earth. Maybe we won't have to live for the next 50 years on Earth. I mean, I don't know what's going on. What, uh, the article that you wrote for The Nation is entitled, Donald Trump Has His Finger on the Nuclear Button... Maybe we should do something about that. Um, and you say, you know, we can't afford to leave that power to an impulsive egomaniac. But he has the power. And uh, you say we need to get Donald Trump's finger off the nuclear button. I think everybody would agree, maybe even people who supported Donald Trump or still do. But um, how, when, who?
3: Well, there's a number of, of possibilities, I'd say, right now. Um, both for uh, sort of ordinary citizens I think now is the time to be out in the streets and calling for no nuclear war and in particular no nuclear first strike that's uh, I think that's the real danger at this point and then as far as beyond that people can be uh, calling and contacting their members of congress and demanding that congress uh, step in here and make clear to the president that um uh, there should be no nuclear first strike, and that in order to have a nuclear first strike, you should first have to get a declaration of war from the United States Congress. And, um, you know, nobody can win in a nuclear war. No matter who starts it, everyone is going to lose. And we need to uh, appeal to that recognition of a singular fact of the nuclear age that nobody wins these kinds of wars to basically ratchet down the uh, rhetoric on both sides. I think it would be very useful for um, the Republican and Democratic leaders in Congress, um, the Senate Majority Leader, the Speaker of the House of Representatives and their Democratic counterparts, and the Armed Services Committee Chairman, to uh, make this case to the White House and also to the people around President Trump, the military advisors, the Secretary of Defense, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, to get across to this president that, you know, this is not a game. This is not uh, a schoolyard uh, dispute here. Uh, We're talking about the possibility of nuclear war, and that absolutely must not Happen.
0: Well, we were talking to our, our, our guest earlier, uh, who was a, a historian who has written a lot about uh, Truman and, you know, uh, use of the atomic bomb and you know, and his advisors. And, you know, it was a war. It was an all-out shooting war that was going on at the time. And there was a whole lot of different considerations. It wasn't a preemptive uh, nuclear strike. It was a continuation of the of what was also a vicious, horrible war by other means. But uh, and then also somebody mentioned. I think did you read the article that Sarah Val wrote in the New York Times the other day? I did not. Well, she was mentioning that um, you know that uh, the after Truman, who had a, he didn't pay as much attention as he should have to what what was going to be ha- what was happening, but after the first bomb, he paid a lot more attention. And then she mentioned that Kennedy. Um, uh, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, had read books about uh, the original development and use of the bomb, and he knew a lot more about uh, the historical background and and probably knew a lot more more about what would happen if there was uh, an actual exchange of nuclear weapons. But now you're dealing with somebody right now with Trump who doesn't read books, who doesn't know anything about history, and is not really listening to anybody, and that's part of the problem here, you know. Uh,
3: That's a big part of the problem is that we have not had a president in the past with this temperament. Uh, I mean, leave aside politics and ideology. Um, Obviously, many people on the left and even in the center of this country do not like uh, President Trump's policies uh, and his ideology. But at this point in the immediate term, the real threat is not that. It is his temperament. This is a person who is um, given manifest evidence that he's impulsive. He uh, does not, as you mentioned, know much about military strategy. He is vindictive. He likes to punish. He likes to be um, uh, sort of the, the biggest boy on the schoolyard. And that is um, not the kind of temperament that should be trusted to unilaterally make the decision of whether we go uh, into nuclear war. If you look at uh, the mainstream media's coverage of his comments the other day about uh, fire and fury, and Mm -hmm. then earlier today that we are locked and loaded, all the historians agree there's never been presidential rhetoric like that in this kind of a moment. You mentioned John F. Kennedy. He, Whatever else you may think of Kennedy in that Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. He was a very um, steely, steady, considered presence. And look, let's also bear in mind here, the North Korean regime is a nasty, dangerous regime. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's true. But you don't go after that. You don't get where you want by threatening them. Uh, USA Today had a story this morning, Quoting a, a historian who has uh, looked at some 4,000 cases of U.S. presidents who have used uh, basically threatening language, and the historian concluded, Never does that work. It always makes things worse. And that, again, is where I think people, citizens, can be very um, involved right now to be calling their members of Congress and urging them to intervene with the White House and make it clear that we want dialogue and de-escalation, not uh, belligerence and escalation.
0: Well, uh, two things. One is Trump, according you know to what you were writing in your article, he does have, uh, you know, the way it's developed over decades after the use of the bomb, and he's the commander-in-chief of the armed forces, he does have absolute power. In other words, he can pick up the phone, make the right call, and a couple of minutes later, the missiles could start to fly. There's nothing... Is there nothing... Uh, Sort of tactically, that can stand in his way. There's no, there's no uh, filtering process. There's no check or balance, right?
3: That is, uh, that's the current status of U.S. law and longstanding policy. With this important caveat, that there is a precedent for um, other uh, instances of uh, intervening. For example during the nixon years uh, specifically at the end of the nixon presidency during the darkest days of watergate uh... president nixon was drinking a lot and brooding and at that point the secretary of defense james schlesinger reportedly ordered the people in the nuclear chain of command to check with him that is with schlesinger first before Hmm. uh... going through with any attack that nixon may have ordered so there has been a precedent for this um, and certainly in my reporting for that article in The Nation, I talked with a number of experts who say that they assume that Secretary of Defense Mattis uh, and the National Security Advisor and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, all gentlemen, again, whatever you think of them ideologically, they're all entirely aware of the literally awesome nature of the uh, nuclear threat. And the assumption uh, by people within that world is that those gentlemen are trying to, A, um, make it clear to Trump that, that uh, you know, this is not something to be uh, trifled with, and B, perhaps also send messages down through the chain of command to say, don't Uh, you know, listen to us, check with us first. Now, that is speculation. And again, that's why I say I think the role for citizens now is to be uh, urging their members of Congress. uh, You know, and a lot of people are back in the districts now having meetings with their constituents, tell them no nuclear war and that they, the members of Congress, need to be getting this message, not just to the White House, but to uh, the Pentagon and the NSC and the Joint Chiefs.
0: When I, when I think of the uh, the constitutional basis for him being, you know, him as the commander-in-chief, the president as the commander-in-chief, this particular man, this graduate of military school, um, uh, who knows what his background leads him to, I mean, as far as his personality, too. But uh, um, tactically speaking or strategically speaking, how on earth, I mean, <laughs> I'm wondering out loud here, and this is maybe idealism that he could even imagine, that anybody could imagine that the United States could actually use nuclear weapons, aside from whatever moral or military uh, debacle it would be for various reasons. There are the Chinese. There are the Chinese. The Chinese are right on the border of North Korea, and their reaction to us using uh, nuclear weapons— on, uh, you know, right, literally right on their own border. I mean, it's inconceivable. So this is all bluster and you know, uh, on his part. But what I'm leading up to here is after he's exhausted, and of course he's dealing with, uh, you know, the North Koreans who are just as good at blustering and threatening back. They have their own fire and fury. Um, after Trump has kept saying this and saying this and saying this, this is what worries me too, and he has nothing left to say then he may think of something to do. You know what I mean? Because as you mentioned, these threats aren't going to work. What happens after he realizes they're not going to work?
3: That's a very good question. Um, And as you mentioned, Kim Jong-un in North Korea is not helping matters. He's clearly itching for a fight. And so you've got two macho... Uh, two characters who are macho posturing, and the problem with that kind of a scenario is that you can end up in an unintentional war. So now the North Koreans are threatening to um, uh, attack Guam. Well, that's a U.S. territory. Um, That's going to be very hard for uh, the U.S. military not to respond to. They're already, I'm sure, uh, it's already been reported that they are planning to shoot down any missiles uh... that north korea might fly towards guam so that's why it is very easy in these circumstances to escalate 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 and uh, again, this is why uh, citizens can be intervening here and must be intervening. And a lot of the progressive groups now are, are uh, starting uh, campaigns around this Move On and, and others, uh, the Working Families Party uh, petitions, and you can go online and find that information. But we've got to be speaking out very loudly now to demand a de escalation of this crisis.
0: Hmm. Well,. Um We can only hope for the best. And what we can hope for is internally, like you say, it's speculation that there are more level-headed people uh, in charge underneath Trump who will uh, filter this kind of command should he issue one or provide a check and a balance. There's no way that we control North Korea. And they are – a it doesn't matter who's president. They are increasingly – a desperate problem for Japan, for Taiwan, for the United States, and even for the Chinese. They're going to have to be dealt with. I'm guessing it's probably the Chinese in the end who have the most to gain by uh, by putting their foot down with the China, with the North. Well, Korean.
3: the Chinese have the most leverage there. And look, China doesn't want nuclear war any more than right. than uh, than we do. Uh, we meaning the American people. Um, and China does have influence, uh, considerable influence over North Korea. But again, it doesn't help for Trump to be uh, banging the war drum here because China also doesn't want to look like it's backing down in the, fav- in the face of that kind of belligerence. Mm. So um, that's where I think it would be. Again, I keep coming back to this, but it's it's a key element of this, is to get our representatives in Congress to be speaking internally and for people to be out in the streets externally to sending this message. That's where, ever since the first day of Trump's presidency, People getting into the streets has been the most powerful uh, statement against his policies and it has had a real impact partly by uh, signaling to uh, other politicians and indeed to the mainstream media that there's a lot of opposition to what this guy is doing and at this point it is striking you know Donald Trump has the lowest popularity ratings of any president of the modern era this early in his presidency and that's partly because people got into the streets early and showed other uh, citizens who are who are not necessarily the type who go out in the streets, who showed them that wow, there's a lot of people who disagree, and I maybe disagree too, and that's okay to disagree. And so we've got a situation where Trump has no um, a political. Uh, uh, support really outside mm-hmm. of his own base in this country, and that's really important. If he, I mean, imagine the difference if he had 70% approval of his presidency oh, at this well, point. Yeah. That'd be very different. So I think we have to realize that we're not as weak as uh, we may think, uh, but that right now uh, it's not a question of hoping and wishing, it's a question of acting. You've got to get out into the streets, you've got to be calling your representatives. There is no more important issue than this. And the nuclear uh, weapons and nuclear war, and I say that as somebody who, for twenty years now, has been covering climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, even climate change though does not have this short of a fuse. And of course, we at The Nation magazine have written a lot about healthcare and immigration and racism, but those are all fights. You lose today, you can come back tomorrow and hopefully win better. If we lose the fight against nuclear war, there is no tomorrow. So we really need to put this at the top of our priorities list and get out in the streets and get the calls going into Congress and and stop this before um, we regret where we've ended up.
0: All right. Mark Hertzgaard, uh, the nation's investigative editor at large. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. This is Mike Fader, and uh, um, we'll we'll be here every Friday uh, with our live broadcast, and there are podcasts afterwards. Um, This is The Turning Point, and every Friday from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, Let's hear a brief remark. This is uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer after the testing, the first testing of the successful testing of the atomic bomb in the New Mexico desert. J. Robert Oppenheimer, who had lived on to be haunted by all this the rest of his short life, actually.
2: We knew the world would not be the same. Few people laughed. Few people cried. Most people were silent. I remembered the line from the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita.
0: Yeah, J. Robert Oppenheimer, um, who oversaw the development and uh, the ultimate use, in a way, of the atomic bomb. This has been Mike Fader, and um, thanks for listening. You Feel free to get in touch. Go to the Fader Files, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S dot com. Be uh, very happy to hear your responses to this, and if you enjoy these shows, like listening to them you learn something from them they entertain you please uh pass the show on to someone else that they can enjoy it or listen to it as well okay i'll see you next week
2: You, everything sit around and wonder what tomorrow will bring. Maybe a damn grand. well, it's
4: all right, even if the sea around.